All right. Well, let's let's start. I mean, we're started, okay. but let's let's move to our intended goal. Um, just for framing, as you know, I mean, this will be easy for you because you uh, live in photography, but um, where this all started is not just my disillusionment with photography, but I kind of want to ask, not even kind of, I just want to ask these questions about, uh, if not why, because uh, why is such a strange word, um, you know, the thought processes, the driving force, the impetus behind uh, people like you, presumably people like me, who uh, feel compelled, in our case, through a, sh through a shutter, through a machine, um, but to just uh, communicate something artistically or uh, intellectually, etc. Um, you brought up this idea of uh, communicating, you know, this idea of documentary uh, photography and wanting to connect, you know, the human experience, etc. So um, I don't know where to start. We, we kind of, I kind of want to marry those things together. I mean, I... There's what I thought I wanted to do with photography, and now there's what I'm pretty sure I know I'm doing with photography, and that's really treating it as almost like a personal god to me, where photography itself is what's giving me a lot of joy, what's getting me up in the morning. It's not necessarily a tool to get anything further, um, or communicate necessarily when originally it was certainly a gateway to yeah opening myself up to people because really didn't have anything else going for me um, shooting it throughout high school and just I don't know getting an excuse to get outside the door and, and interact with people and go to events or do things and have an excuse to be there that's certainly something a lot of people can relate to but it sort of evolved into this all-encompassing almost spiritual identification of like okay like I've dedicated my life to this it, it seems like it's giving me a lot of positive things um, in return and yeah it, it, it is so analogous to spirituality or religion for me that it's I've, I've sort of come to the conclusion at least for now it's certainly worth a life pursuing and exploring. It's like a very generous hobby in that sense. My Viewfinder is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by Unbelts, the Edmonton-based biz that makes the comfiest stretch belts around. Unbelts also makes cloth masks, and you're going to need more of those. Whether you're heading back to school or just living in a city that requires masks indoors or on the bus, Unbelts masks are designed by serious perfectionists. The masks follow all the latest WHO guidelines. They're ethically made right down to their components, but most importantly, they're super comfortable, even if you have to wear them all day. They come in all sorts of colors and four sizes from preschooler to adult extra large. And guess what? Unibelts is a certified B corporation, which means their business is all about giving back. So what are you waiting for? Head to unbelts.ca to order your masks today. Shipping is always free, and you can enter the code APN for a free mini laundry bag just for Alberta Podcast Network listeners. If you're an Alberta teacher, click Teacher Discount on their homepage for 20% off your entire order. Once again, that's unbelts.ca and enter code APN. Here's the second part of my chat with Louis. 
If there's one thing I'm learning about Louis, it's that photography is a practice of faith, a spiritual journey. For me, what I've learned about spiritual journeys is that they develop faith. Faith, to me, is living through experiences to see where our decisions take us and to learn that they never end up where we expect them to. Often, we're in a place that's more rewarding than we could ever have imagined. Now, let me know if that's what you hear or if I'm just underexposed. Yeah, that was a crappy pun. Here's my chat with Louis. Going back to what I was going to bring to, so maybe we can uh, weave this in, is, um, I mean, you're fascinated by books. I thought it was, I mean, obviously this is just my close mind. I thought it was photo books, but, you know, you clearly read words. But I think it informs how you look at these projects too. So, yeah, I don't know. I, tell me about books, man. I, I think that might give me some insight too about, you know, how you go through this process and want to make a book. You know, I, I don't know. I suppose the way I think photographically really does align with how books work. Um, it's a word after word after word after a word, as per Margaret Atwood. You find that because context really makes the art for me, like, for example, you take a piece, put it in a white wall museum, it's art. <laughs> That's sort of the little bit of the academic definition, very, very much simplified. I find because the book maker designer has that ability to have this box where they determine the context of an image, the size, the printing, its relation to the other images in a sequence. I find that is so parallel to the way I like to share work um, and consume it too. Like I find photo books, like my collection is bloated <laughs> to like a hundred something. And I pull one off the shelf every day. And it's usually a reread. Um, if, if looking at a picture book is considered reading and in terms of word books, uh, at least in the last year or two, it, it's almost completely and totally photographic writing, essays, interviews, um, just everything to do with the medium. Because again, it's almost like a, like a Bible study for me, looking into how people work, why people work, uh, the history of it. It's a relatively short history in terms of art. It's like, they, uh, in French, they, uh, when, when they originally uh, announced photography to the world in, in Paris in 1839, they said they had discovered photography. Like it was this thing that was already out there in the world, a natural process, um, but they discovered it. So uh, I love that. Uh, I don't know what about it, but I love that idea of, of discovering photography in the literal sense, but also like people, like kids who come into the camera store, for example, and like bright eyed and bushy tailed and like open to this whole new world of, of photography, whether or not they're picking up a roll of film or, or, or a camera. Um, that obviously like in contrast to the rigors of retail, otherwise it gives me a lot of joy because it's almost like evangelizing what what's giving me 
so much value in my life. So I find literature, books about art, about photography is just another thing that's giving me a lot of joy and, and value that photography is sort of brought to my attention. So I, I mean, early you mentioned three uh, fictional writers, right? Uh, Orwell, Hemingway, and then Atwood. And then uh, now we're talking about uh, researching photography. I, I have, uh, I'm learning actually. I was going to say I have a, a different approach in that I refuse to learn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. No, I've, I've heard you say that a few times in a few different contexts. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's understandable. You've got a lot of th different things going on. You've got a family, you've got your art, you've got your, your own mental health and, and physical health to deal with. I mean, reading takes time and the rest of life is kind of exhausting and there's a lot of mental energy you need to expend. So I, 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 I understand. Like I find back in school, you'd read the required readings and you'd never really read anything else because like reading is the last thing you want to do. And getting joy out of something like reading when it certainly takes some effort sometimes, uh, especially the more academic stuff, uh, sometimes it's just not worth your time if it's not giving you back what you, what you feel like it's giving to others, you know? Like a, you'd rather spend time with your son. Well, I mean, yes, most of the time. Although, uh, you know, parenting is not, it's not, uh, it's not all sunshines and rainbows as that parlance mm -hmm. is. Uh, so sometimes I just don't want to spend any time with them at all. Uh, and, uh, but what I was getting at, I think, uh, uh, shit talking aside, is I think it's become an excuse for me. And the more I hang out with you guys, uh, you guys being, I mean, Exposure Studio has been uh, amazing, but um, just in general, people who take themselves a little bit more seriously. I mean, you're you're using phrases like, uh, yeah, religious phrases, right? Um, photo books as being I, Bibles. Uh, the, I don't like to take myself very seriously, but I take photography itself pretty seriously, just in terms of what it's given to me personally, um, in terms of friends, in terms of things to do. Um, I, I definitely owe a lot to it, almost like it is a person, like a, almost like it is a relationship or a, or a partner. Um, it has its ups and downs, um, but you get to meet their friends and you get to spend time with them. It, it's, it's so analogous for me that photography takes that sort of part of my brain that might otherwise be, yeah, for, for a family or, or a, a cult or, or a, I don't know, pro wrestling. I don't know. Speaking of pro wrestling, no, I, I keep pretending it's like um, pro wrestling, Pokemon, all kinds of stuff. It's fun to say that I've never participated, but uh, like I, I can name a bunch of Pokemon, and uh, I watched a lot of WWF before they became WWE. Now it's just fucking corrupted. So Vince McMahon <laughs> can eat a big uh, bag. Of, no, no. Um, I, I saw a clip of uh, pro wrestling on Twitter, and it was without an audience. Ah, um, COVID wrestling, and, interesting. Yeah, and, and because it's so much like theater, uh, sometimes they break the fourth wall and they, they talk to the audience, but they, they're talking to an empty seats. And it's, it's so wonderful, beautifully absurd. Um, just another funny thing that's come out of the last six months. That'd be fascinating. I would love to, I mean, I, yeah, that would be a hole because I think I would start watching it too much. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean... No, I, no, you, you watch it once and then you get it and then you move on. I remember when uh, football, soccer first started and they had the empty stadiums and, uh, you know, the Reddit comments, for example, which I started agreeing with is, um, you know, sometimes when you watch things on TV, I don't know if you play, for example, sports or theater or whatever it is, you get this illusion that you could kind of do the same thing because, you you know, you're so far apart and there's, you know, this action. So you're like, well, I, you know, I used to play this. and I, But when the crowd is gone and even the sound, let's say, of a professional football passing a ball, right? And you're just like, oh, fuck. Like, I've never hit a ball that makes that sound because the speed and energy in which upper-level stuff uh, happens Wrestling would be the exact same thing. There's a part where you know these are giant human beings. There's a part where people actually die and get hurt. But it would be fascinating without a bunch of, um, you know, Americans screaming and spitting in the stands. Like the sounds <laughs> of the impacts, like what a rope would sound like when they throw each other off of it. You know, the, the sound of their latex bodysuits uh, stretching as they throw each other. Just like little things like that, I think would be fascinating, which is why I think it would be a whole, because I think I would... Uh, get too caught up <laughs> oh no it's it, the the appeal is is in something you've never seen before or experienced before like uh, <laughs> going with a few friends to amateur professional wrestling uh downtown here half of the appeal is is the audience and how hilarious they are um they're kind of mean making fun of people <laughs> yelling uh, booing or it, it's such an experience and it's like very analogous to yeah kind of it's it's a craft or an art or whatever you want to call it but uh, the audience is a part of it because no nobody's an island um, it's the audience is part of the art making or art exhibiting experience um, so, so I find that uh, interesting to think about an analogy Going back to an earlier point, you know, about involving an audience with photography. I mean, I, I don't know. You know what I like, and I think this might is why this conversation. Uh, sorry, it's why this question hasn't uh, worked out well with you. Is uh, you know, thinking of photography as books is a fascinating approach, and I think an important one, uh, one that definitely defines you and your work in the sense of uh, wanting to build narratives. Um, there is a, a very surface level impression that a photograph is a single moment and that the art of photography has to be able to express a concept in a, in a single frame. Um, but that sounds very limiting. Yeah, I've, I've certainly gone away from like an aspiration to make an iconic image that everybody will recognize and remember. Like that's certainly a bucket list thing that I had uh, uh, first starting out. It's like, oh, I wanted to make the next tank man or afghan girl or whatever um but i find especially when you talk to the photographers who, who make photographs like that so much of it is, is luck and context in terms of like just being at the right place in the right time and sure you can maximize the amount of right places and right times you're at if you spend a lot of money on plane tickets and do a lot of waiting and quit your job but i find in terms of a more realistic practice, uh, staying in one city, living your day to day, uh, I find my ability to make fulfilling work for myself is more communicated by series, uh, by photographs after photographs after photographs uh, to make a sentence. 
and then to make a book. I find that exercise just fun. I feel like uh, the more I learn, I mean, you may have already been aware of this, but the more I learn about the disconnect, I mean, I was I bought that Magnum Contact uh, sheet book a couple of years ago, um, but I actually, um, I rarely read the context. So it's it's interesting the effect that publication having an editor, and then the politicization, so attaching an image, let's say, to a news story or to a message that's not um, by the choice or control of the photographer is a, is a fascinating other conversation in and of itself. Um, oh, yeah. We could totally get into how context change context changes work um, and, and how it's presented. Like Again, I, I find that more of a positive light in terms of self-expression and what you can sort of squeeze out of life because if if no interpretation was sort of allowed or recontextualizing things wasn't a thing then you'd only get so much out of out of a piece uh, be it literature art or photography or whatever Uh, this all ties back to the power and necessity of an audience you know i i think in its early inception, and particularly, let's call it the proliferation of photography in the early part of the 20th century, um, you had a very hungry audience, a very naive, uh, I mean, uh, in hindsight, a very naive audience, and you had a very naive sort of publication structure where they truly believed that an image was supposed to be reality. Um, as that twists, and then the role of the audience changes, I was talking to my a movie podcast friend, he mentioned in one of the episodes about uh, the negative power of social media and movie making. I was like, what the fuck do you mean? And apparently, um, you know, when a movie is uh, released, uh, nerds band together and then they like Twitter attack production companies and directors to force them to make sequels or to make changes to scripts, uh, you know, with threatening uh, boycotts because in their group uh, mindset, uh, an artist got something wrong, which is fucking insane, right? Like, I, to me, it's it's crazy the amount of influence um, the outside society now has in even the creative process. Uh, and I worry a lot about photography in that, uh, in that light. I mean, there's so many barriers uh, to expression that way, but, I mean, then it, it almost turns into a craft than anything. Like, you have expectations of an audience and you want to fulfill those. Like uh, you're making a birdhouse for somebody. Um, well, first of all, people make birdhouses sometimes. Some people buy them just to fulfill that utilitarian need. But there's certainly a lot of uh, personal satisfaction in making one yourself as an analogy. Um, but a birdhouse still has a, a client to fulfill, uh, birds. Like it still needs to be a functional birdhouse, I guess. Uh, for the birds. So in the same way, a lot of photography or art, uh, be it movies or whatever, in a commercial sense, it's still beholden to a client or an audience, which is why I I very much sort of separate my brain into these two halves of uh, wedding photography, event photography. There are certain tropes and and things that I, I need to fulfill, the boxes I need to tick, because I'm, I'm being paid. Um, and, and that, like, I don't necessarily have a problem with because 
it's not a necessarily a barrier to my self-expression because if I don't fulfill the client expectations, then I don't get paid. So, but with personal work, I, I like to separate it in the fact that, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to avo avoid those tropes, which sort of becomes a trope in itself, but that's a different conversation um, of maybe an audience's expectations. Because uh, like, I don't, you talk to most photo book publishers and they're, they're not in it, in it for the money necessarily um they just love putting work out there with maybe not nuts not so so back to like personal versus professional client or like um craft versus art i find yeah when 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 it's work done in more of a commercial context yes the audience is like uh, this thing on your shoulder almost pointing you in a certain direction or forcing your hand, um, but when it's when it's ultimately personal work uh, or some sort of self-expression, I find the audience less of a imposing force. I wonder how much of that drives a cynical thing I have, which is that art is the expression of the privilege. Oh, it 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 is certainly. Um, like you need time. Uh, well, first of all, if you're trying to make ends meet by trying to make finances work out, well, you're exchanging your time for money. And at the end of the day, you, you don't have any time to make work. So yes, 100% art for art's sake and personal expression is a position of privilege. Like you need the time to do that. Now, certain people can find time regardless um, out, of, out of sort of passion or, or whatever. But as a generalization, the more time you have, the more work you can produce, and, and therefore, and oftentimes, the more good work you can produce. So, and then that sort of snowballs into quote unquote making it, which I mean, it could be fame or monetary sort of collectability. But yes, there is a lot of privilege in being able to do what I do uh, for myself. Like I'm doing it for, for myself out of my own personal fulfillment. Uh, it's good to recognize, which is why that, that sort of crisis came to mind last year of like, what the hell am I doing to make the world a better place? Because I have the time to do that. So it, it's definitely a struggle, like an internal struggle of like, what am I doing with my time? Like, am I a selfish human being just making things for myself or like, but also, the, is, is there, isn't there a value to that in of itself? Uh, like the, the pressure to, especially as a person of color, to make work that is perceived as, as activist or making the world a better place. There, there's a certain, a certain almost onus on me to, to do that. Um, for, certainly from like a certain peer group that, that I wholly admire. And it's, it's a good pressure to have. Because otherwise, I'll, I'll just I'm just living a comfortable life, not caring about anyone else. I guess. I wonder how much. I mean, this is just rhetorical, but it's something that sticks in my head about whether the privileged status of art, much like Western philosophy, creates a lens and a bias into defining, ironically, what art is. Um, but one, at least in a you know free market capitalist society, is there's no point in talking about it because, you, like you said. It's not like you can fulfill your needs um, in your communist mindset. 
with your concrete structures uh, simply because you're entitled to it as a human being. Uh, the world just doesn't simply just doesn't work that way. Um, so I I'll take that a personal reflection. I mean, it's something that I've been obsessing over, and something that intellectually, I mean, it seems fairly obvious and rational, but yeah, spiritually, I fucking hate it. And I, I, yeah, just quickly going back to perspective and stuff, I think that's what killed the momentum for perspectives because exactly as you said, uh, at the beginning, I had a severance package from the job that I got uh, fired from for being uh, an asshole. And, um, you know, at its inception, perspectives was nothing more than to try to get, you know, your pictures on a wall, people's work in a magazine, and then ultimately conversations on a podcast. But as soon as that money ran out, and I needed to find a way to make, let's say, perspectives pay me, the thing fucking fell into itself. Because never mind whether art is viable in Calgary and that sort of uh, specific thing, it changed the way I approached people, right? I was like curating, starting to worry that I couldn't sell anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then never mind me being uh, of a certain disposition to be biased and, you know, as you can tell, opinionated and just kind of a general dick in, in, in the first place. Once I added money into that, uh, it became, uh, yeah, crushing, frankly, and uh, and I don't like it. I uh, I think that's where this conversation comes in to try to find people like you to give me or share with me different frameworks. And everybody I've spoken to has similar, but also right unique approaches to this problem yeah, of where our personal. Yeah, desire to communicate and be creative uh, starts and ends. And then, yeah, where do we get food? And then in my situation, like, how do I take care of my health? How do I give enough time to my wife and my son? Um, Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll ask you this. I have two questions to wrap up. Number one, I mean, I keep ragging on you about these uh, communist concrete structures. So if you had to choose between uh, one of these uh, gross concrete buildings, which I personally hate, uh, like a Frank Gehry fucking custom, you know, architecture design or a log cabin that you built yourself, <laughs> which do you think uh, you'd into? You're, you're, <laughs> you're almost like feeding me. Well, Frank Gehry, historically, it's more of a, not not quite a brutalist architect, uh, but I mean, you're almost feeding me the answer I'm, I'm going to give you because of course, I'm going to be more satisfied living in a log cabin that I built myself. Um, much, but uh, that is not to say I would hang only my own photographs in my own house. Um, I, I certainly try to surround myself with a, a lot of uh, friends and, and uh, people's work that I admire. Um, back to, I, I guess I just want to like touch on your point of sort of that, that eternal struggle, struggle with art and making time for it and being discouraged. I find, yes, photography is a practice um, much along the same lines as sort of Zen practice has, uh, back to, to echo Danny and, and what he sort of goes and, and does uh, go through, is there is a lot of inherent selfishness in focusing on yourself and your mindset and your moments um, that goes into conflict with, yeah, my political leanings in terms of like, yes, a better world is possible, etc. But if, if, if all you care about is yourself, then 
what are you going to do? Like, are you going to sacrifice your own well-being? That seems like what I have to do to make the world a better place because you're sacrificing your time. But the same, uh, along the same lines, yeah, if you dedicate all your free time to yourself, you're probably going to feel better. Um, so that's sort of the crux, the, the paradox that, that I'm kind of living uh, with both a Zen practice and a photography or art practice. Now, with um, the log cabin, I'd still want it to be in the city because I'm definitely still a people person. And I like at least knowing there are people around, maybe not necessarily interacting with them, but just the vitality of, of uh, being able to walk to get my groceries or walk to work is uh, certainly pretty life-giving. You got to get, uh, you know, those uh, shipping container mini homes. That's going to be a thing. These little comments oh, yeah, yeah, that no, pop up. Yeah. No, there, I mean, there, there are already little uh, alley homes um, in Calgary now. Uh, there's cer- certainly appeal to this tiny house. Uh, have a little bit of a design fascination there. But uh, I don't know. I like my big empty space and my white walls, room to stretch. Uh, there's a certain point where it gets the North American uh, culture. Yeah. Yeah. The entitlement to space. <laughs> um, there's a phrase, uh, speaking quickly to your, uh, the paradox between helping yourself and helping others uh, that I've come across, which is uh, you can't fill someone else's cup if your cup is empty. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think with you, as long as there's an intent to give that energy back, then working on yourself is not a paradox at all. I think the paradox forms when a person isn't sure what they're going to do with all of the excess and just sitting there with an overflowing cup uh, and telling everyone to fuck off and uh, and drown. Um, uh, but at the same time, intent can only go so far. Like I can send all the thoughts and prayers I can, but it's praxis and action that actually does anything. So just trying to get myself up and out of bed. Um, okay, so final question. If you could tell the world one thing, what would it be? I don't know. Just beware of bad faith and sort of your own self-deception. Um, but otherwise, I, I don't find my proselytizing really more important than anyone else's. I love it. I think even if, uh, oh, I won't cut it, but we'll, uh, who knows, maybe it'd be the title of our episode, Beware of Bad Faith. That's a great, uh, that's a great little thing. Uh, and like we talked about, open to interpretation. So we'll leave it up for people to come and yell at me about how I don't know what the fuck <laughs> I'm talking about. Okay. Um, thank you, Louis, for giving me so much of your time. It's great to get to know you a little bit better. Cool. No, I'm, I'm glad. I'm very much glad to talk to you. So that's it. What is bad faith? Bad faith to me is acting, believing that I can control an outcome instead of simply acting for the pursuit of the process itself. Is this idealistic? Yes. Naive? Sure. But I still believe, uh, like Louis, that there's something important in considering life in this manner. Let me know your thoughts. Share this with your friends and get them to connect with me. Let's encourage more conversation about this process we enjoy and, like Louis, seem to have committed ourselves to. Uh, Chat with you next time. 
on my viewfinder. Okay, how about ah the most beautiful sight you've ever seen? Beautiful sight, uh, on a little sort of small island hopping boat tour in the Philippines. The last time I went, um, the boat guy, the owner, I guess, had a little dog that came with him on every trip uh, or excursion. It was like kind of half wiener dog, half something else, I don't know. And with its tiny little legs, it was an incredible swimmer. It would balance on the sort of um, uh, mass or poles that sort of hold the boat together, like little this little agile little beast. And it was just without with us throughout the entire day, by the end, on the way home, it was just like sleeping, wrapped in a bunch of like life jackets in a corner of the boat. Uh, the sun was setting. It's it's one of those things that uh, I definitely won't ever forget. Just in terms of that relationship between I don't know the the dog and, and its owner. Um, something that makes you tear up if you think about it sometimes. Dog sounds like it has better sea legs than me. I get sick very easily. <laughs> CPA Alberta represents more than 29,000 CPAs, also known as chartered professional accountants, across the province. CPAs are more than number crunchers who love Excel spreadsheets. They're business leaders, finance experts, trusted advisors, and entrepreneurs. They work in many different industries, from film to fashion, from government to oil and gas. Long story short, CPAs didn't just break the mold, they made their own. CPAs can help you spark your next big idea, pivot during difficult times, start your new business off on the right foot, and so much more. For an inside look at how Alberta CPAs are supporting their clients through the pandemic, follow CPA Alberta on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can also visit cpaalberta.ca to find out more.